week, the friends and family of a retired principal in Toronto gathered to celebrate his life. Richard Biltstow sadly took his life last month at the age of 60, and much of the reporting on his death has focused on a DEI training and the lawsuit that he launched about it. A reminder to listeners that the claims you will hear have not been proven in court. My guest today is a reporter whose story on Richard Biltstow has gained international attention, and our conversation grapples with a number of difficult issues, including suicide and how it's covered in the media. Rupa Subramanya is a staff writer at the Free Press. Rupa Subramanya is my guest today on Lean Out. Rupa, welcome back to Lean Out. Thank you, Tara. Thanks for uh, inviting me back on your show. We have an incredibly sad story to discuss today, uh, which deals with suicide. Your story on the death of Toronto educator Richard Biltsko has garnered uh, international attention, and his death has, in fact, been a major topic in the Canadian legacy press for the past several weeks. Sadly, Richard took his own life on July 13th at the age of 60. How did his story first come to your attention, Rupa? Uh, well, um, his story first came to my attention when the reports of his death were circulating. And uh, I had actually, Richard actually, had actually reached out to me in February of this year via email, but we never got an opportunity to talk. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't know him. But, you know, I learned about his story after his passing. And I read coverage in the National Post and a couple of other places. And then I realized he had actually reached out to me back in February, and and that just never ended up happening, our conversation. And I was very pained by what I had heard had happened to him. I've said this a few times that, you know, it struck a personal chord with me for a range of different reasons, Um, one of them being the fact that he stood up for something that he believed in. He was pushing against politely that to against a claim that was being made in this DI training session. And he was uh, bullied and uh, and belittled for doing that. And, you know, and it was just uh, ultimately uh, nobody in his profession really stood up for him in the end. Uh, you know, no, no one came, came to his defense. So, you know, I was reading his story and uh, reading about him uh, or what was being said. And then I realized just what a horrific tragedy this whole thing was. And then I subsequently reached out to his lawyer, Lisa Bildy. And uh, went through the statement of claim, his lawsuit from uh, that was filed a few months ago prior to his death. And uh, that made for a really painful reading. The lawsuit, the statement of claims excerpts um, uh, has excerpted text from the audio, from the audio recordings of the DEI session. And even those quotes, if you were to read that, makes for, you know, you just can't believe that this was being said at, at the session. But, you know, actually listening to the audio, which I managed to, you know, get most of the recordings, 
you know, when you hear it, it, it just takes that to another level altogether. You can just, just um, you know, from the tone, from the mocking tone of the DEI instructor, all of that just um, makes it sound all the more horrific and traumatizing, to be honest. And you, as you say, you have published the audio, so people are able to listen to that and and decide for themselves about the content and about the tone. Um, your reporter who shares a byline in the story, Ari Blaff, counted Richard as a friend. Um, I should say, for full disclosure, uh, Richard played a part in setting up a local chapter of the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. I'm a big fan of that organization's work, and I was asked to speak to FAIR uh, Ontario on Zoom earlier this year, which I did. But getting back to the audio here, I'd like to just go through some of the basic facts of your reporting. Your story for the free press goes through a sequence of events. It starts with this Toronto District School Board training seminar for some 200 or so public administrators in the spring of 2021. That training was conducted by Kiki Ojo Thompson of the Kojo Institute in Toronto. During that training, Ms. Ojo Thompson made a statement about Canada that um, Richard Biltsko, then the principal of Burnham Thorpe Collegiate Institute and Adult Learning Centre, took issue with. Can you quote for us the exchange that took place? Uh, yeah, so uh, Kiki Ojo Thompson, CEO of Kojo Institute, was running this training session. The TDSB had, had hired her to uh, preside over this training session. And uh, she uh, was talking about, uh, she was making these claims during the session that Canada is a bastion of white supremacy. And, uh, and she said, uh, the racism we experience is far worse here than there. That That's an exact quote from Kiki Ojo Thompson. And she said that, you know, it might be hard for Canadians to accept this, but at least in the U.S., Americans have a, quote, have a fighting posture against at least the monarchy. Here we celebrate the monarchy, the very heart and soul and origins of the colonial structure. And uh, at this point, Richard Bilkstow raises his hand and he and he says, look, I just want to make a comment. His exact quote, I just wanted to make a comment of the about the Canada-US thing and just challenge a little bit, you know, challenge that a little bit. And um, and he says, you know, he's citing our tax system, our public education system, our healthcare system, and uh, and also his own experience of teaching and some uh, teaching some of the most underprivileged and marginalized uh, uh, students on both sides of the border. Uh, and he said, you know, we have a lot of problems here, but to quote him, he said, but we're a far more just society. And at this point, Kiki Ojo Thompson jumps in and uh, and to quote her, she says, what I'm finding interesting is that in the middle of this COVID disaster, where the inequities in this fair and equal healthcare system have been properly shown to all of us, you and your whiteness think that you can tell me what's really going on with Black people. Like, is that what you're trying to do? Because I think that's what you're doing, but I'm not sure. So I'm going to leave you space to tell me what you're doing right now, end quote. And then Richard pushes, you know, a little bit more. And then a, a colleague of uh, Kiki Ojo Thompson, a man by the name of Andrew, I believe he works for the Kojo Institute, jumps in to defend Kiki and says that, look, you know, if you're, this is not the place for Canada-U.S. comparisons. Uh, this is just not the place for it. And he just, uh, um, you know, he, he's very terse and essentially tells him off. And that was the end of this interaction. This interaction, all told, lasted maybe for six or seven minutes uh, based on the audio recording. But 
that tiny interaction had a devastating effect on Richard Bilkstow because what happened after is, is equally important, if not more. Kiki Ojo Thompson spent the rest of the session essentially trying to make an example out of Richard Bilkstow. And uh, and she's actually just uh, laughing at the fact that that he presented himself as an example. She says, you know, wh- uh, one of the ways that white supremacy is upheld, protected, reproduced, upkept, defended is through resistance. And she said, I'm so lucky that we got perfect evidence, a wonderful example of resistance that you all got to bear witness to. So we're going to talk about it because I mean, it doesn't get better than this. So she continued to use this uh, small little exchange that she had with Richard Bilkstow for the rest of the session and the following session that took place uh, the following week. And, and, you know, she decided she kept referring to him as a resistor uh, and what he did was an act of resistance and that uh, and this was a teachable moment for the session. And uh, I mean, all kinds of things happened. There was a woman called Cheryl Robinson Petrozini, who was uh, a senior official at the TDSP at that time. On the day this happened, she takes to Twitter and she's is uh, praising Kiki Ojo Thompson and, uh, and and thanks her for modeling discomfort. And this tweet uh, was something that really affected Richard from from all the conversations I've had with his family and close friends, because this was essentially a senior official at the TDSP. Uh, saying that it was okay for Kiki Ojo Thompson to behave this way and that he was somehow guilty of doing something, uh, doing something bad. And uh, he tried to get uh, Petrozini to re- to remove this tweet. He he kept uh, making several requests, but that tweet just remained there for like eight months till Richard's lawyer uh, sent a legal notice to Petrozini requesting her to remove it. And it's only then that the tweet was removed. And so the, the the session, I mean, is is you know was just if you listen to the audio recordings, as I said, the audio recordings you know give you make it for a very powerful, you know, making all the more powerful. It's it's you know it, it takes it to a different level than just reading the text from from the recordings. Um, she refers to Richard in some uses some very dehumanizing language to refer to him. Uh, at one point, she says, "I just want to." Thank everybody for for a proper thorough session today. We got into the weeds and got the weed whacker out. Apparently, it was hot today. It was good. It was really good. And you know, you can hear her laughing in the background. And um, in the last session that Richard attended, she invites the audience to comment on last week's session, particularly the interaction that that she had with Richard. And so you have all of these educators joining in, piling on him, um, and 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 you know, and and uh, and 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 calling him a resistor, calling him whiteness. They continue using this dehumanizing language. He's there. They can't even bring themselves to refer to him by his name. And there was a fourth session that Richard did not chose not to attend because he went on sick leave the following day. He applied for sick leave. He was just too emotionally distraught by the whole experience. He filed a workplace harassment complaint with the Workplace Safety Insur- um, Insurance Board of Ontario, and uh, and he went on uh, sick leave for three months. And in your reporting, you speak to a friend, Michael Telper, who describes the emotional impact of these uh, Zoom training incidents on Richard Bilstow. 
You have uh, interviews with another friend, Robert McManus, who has a lot to say about his character. This is a man who, by all accounts, was a lifelong progressive gay man, as it turned out, who cared a lot about discrimination and who felt these incidents quite deeply. As you say, he went on sick leave in May of 2021, subsequently filed a lawsuit against the Toronto District School Board. You quote from that lawsuit in your story. Um, We have asked the TDSB for comment on your story. It has directed us to two previous press statements on this matter, both of which we'll link to on my Substack. I just want to quote one of these now. Richard was a strong advocate for students, particularly for those in adult and alternative education. Throughout his over 24 years in education, he worked hard to create an environment that fostered student success for students of all ages and um, notes that the TDSB has launched an investigation into the events that transpired. As you mentioned, uh, Richard also made a complaint with the Workplace Safety and Assurance Board. It did find that Ms. Thompson's behavior was, uh, quote, abusive and constituted workplace harassment. We have reached out as well to Ms. Thompson, and uh, we have invited her to come on the program. We've invited her to make a statement, as we have also reached out to Stephen Lecce, Ontario's education minister, and invited that ministry to make a statement. He has called the allegations raised by Richard Biltzko, serious and disturbing, and has asked his staff to review what happened. Rupa, I want to turn our attention now from the facts that you have reported to the conversation around the story in the Canadian press. It has been covered everywhere from the CBC, my former employer, to the National Post, where you write a column. Uh, I want to ask you about a few threads of discussion. Ms. Thompson, in her statement to the media, said this incident is being weaponized to discredit and suppress the work of everyone committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. There are a contingent of people who agree with this assessment, including University of Toronto professor Nicole Bernhardt, who published a piece in the conversation titled Why a Toronto High School Principal's Death is Wrongly Linked to Anti-Racism Training. What do you make of that claim, that this incident, this tragedy, as uh, Ms. Thompson herself put it in her statement, has been weaponized? Uh, I would completely uh, predictable, entirely, uh, I fully expected that. Um, um, you know, it's unfortunate that Kiki Oja Thompson and her supporters have doubled down by saying that, uh, again, a- anything that, that, that they disagree with or they or uh, people who, you know, who happen, who are on the ideological left, tend to disagree with these days is blamed on right-wing elements. And that's exactly what they've done here, uh, that uh, right-wing elements are trying to weaponize his death um, and and use it against her. So she's the actual victim here, uh, even though a man died by suicide um, after being abused at her training session. I think this is just, uh, as I said, this was entirely predictable, but it also shows how, in my opinion, just how um, things have gotten uh, where Canada is today, you know, it's drifted to such to 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 such an extreme, where dissent and healthy debate uh, are essentially tarred as disinformation or malice, and you've seen that from uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on down, and uh, I, I I feel like this is we're really in an Orwellian situation in Canada. And I'm I'm just uh, really disturbed and shocked by the responses to Richard's death by people who, you know, have downplayed his suicide, have uh, downplayed his experience of these sessions, 
um, you know, I, I urge everybody to listen to the audio recordings, not just embedded in the story, but I've shared the 40-minute pylon from Richard's, uh, um, you know, colleagues that is not embedded in the story. And you, you really get to hear um, just how dehumanizing that experience was. So, you know, it's unfortunate that this is, this is you know, the Kojo Institute and Kiki Ojo Thompson, uh, you know, uh, disappointed at the reaction, but I'm not at all surprised. I also want to unpack another uh, argument from Cherie Pardikar at uh, the Toronto Star. I know that you have debated her in the past for the Monk debates. She writes that the statements of Ms. Thompson have been taken out of context, that there's a vast difference between a Black woman comparing her own personal experiences in Canada to a blanket statement that Canada is more racist than the U.S. And she also she also argues that suggesting that someone is upholding white supremacy is not the same as calling someone a white supremacist. Um, what do you make of these arguments? I uh, I read um, her her column, which is really a column. It's not uh, actually. Um, I, I don't think it made any attempt to speak to anybody who knew Richard, or uh, so it was not a um, you know a, a reporting in any sense. And uh, several things here, um, uh, Tara. First of all, uh, she claims to have heard the recordings, and I have uh, no reason to doubt her. My question, my immediate question is, well, uh, why not share the recordings? You know, I had a very hard time even, you know, getting access to the recordings because, you know, Lisa Bildi is constrained by various uh, factors, including the lawsuit, and there are all kinds of legal issues surrounding uh, surrounding this and which, which are not yet clear to her at this point because um you know things are basically in a state of flux um and and so she, so kojo institute is not bound by or any of the 200 people who were in that session uh, surely someone has the recordings but you know they could have just released that but someone obviously did uh, release that to shri and she should have um, the toronto star should have made that recording accessible i don't see you know why they chose not to so we so we can all hear i mean here we're expected to just take our word for it that her that kiki's um uh, words were taken out of context well let let's let's be let's let us be the judge of that right and um, and I read the column, and there are many many contradictions. For example, she 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 makes this statement that Kiki Ojo Thompson never said that Canada was more racist than the U.S. Further, you know, in the column, as you read the column further below, uh, she actually quotes Kiki Ojo Thompson, same quote that I have in my story, and that you can hear from the audio recording that. She says the racism that we experience is far worse here than than there. So those are essentially the same thing. Uh, and I'm just surprised that an editor at the Toronto Star did not ca catch this contradiction in this column. Um, and so there, there are all kinds of problems with this. Uh, you know, one of the most important ones being the fact that um, that the the recording was not publicly released um and and so we have uh, we we just have to take the columnist word word on this um at the free press we felt it was absolutely important that if if we got the recordings we would share it because that's the only way uh, i mean why should anybody believe me you know just listen to the recordings and make up your own mind and that's just how it works um and uh so i i i disagree with uh, with Shri, um, I've debated her at the Monk debates, and um, her position is basically 
Canada is beyond redemption, that we are a bastion of white supremacy. Her views are not that different, really, from Kiki's views. Um, I pushed back against that two years ago. Um, and, and then I've argued in many places that, you know, the Canada of today is not the Canada of 1867. We've made a lot of progress. This is a country that has done quite a bit to uh, include people of all backgrounds. Uh, we, we don't, we're not perfect. I have a lot of issues with things like multiculturalism, multiculturalism and that sort of thing. But, you know, all, you know, all told, I feel that I agree with Richard that we're a far, um, we're more just here than, than in the U.S. And, um, you, you know, if your issue, Kiki's issue was, well, you know, yes, we have all of these things, but the outcomes are very different for kids who grow up in, Jane, in the Jane and Finch neighborhood versus the Forest Hill neighborhood. But outcomes can be different for a range of different reasons. Uh, it could be because you, you you're growing up in a poor uh, poor household. Your parents are not around. Your parents have, um, you know, I don't know. There could be all kinds of socioeconomic factors here. But to blame all of that on white supremacy is uh, is you know is frankly speaking ridiculous. But that seems to be the position of those on the left, uh, where essentially every Kiki's. State One of the things that she says, again, this is not embedded in the story, but people can go to my tweet thread and listen to these recordings. She says, everything in Canada is white supremacist. The government is white supremacist. The schools are white supremacist. The, the banking, um, our banks are white supremacist. Uh, that's her starting point, that everything here is white supremacist and that uh, that uh, people of color, especially black people, just uh, are, are, are just doing poorly. Now, the one group in this country that is actually doing worse than everybody else are First Nations people, are the indigenous people, and they, their socioeconomic um, outcomes are very, very bad on a range of different factors like unemployment, poverty, and so on. You know, our, our criticism really should be directed towards um, how we failed First Nations people. That's where, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. But most of us are actually, um, I think, uh, I think are well represented. Uh, I'm a person of color who hosts a podcast uh, for an independent media outlet. I write in the pages of the National Post, uh, you know, look at the talking heads on TV. You know, you have a range of different voices. Our experts during the pandemic were uh, drawn from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds. And so how can you just sit there and tell me that it's white supremacy and people are have not people of color are being discriminated against. I just find that uh, just just hard to understand. And Rupa, just lastly, I, I want to ask about a few arguments that have been made by a, a trio of journalism professors writing in JSource. So they've argued that mental health is an inherently complex subject and it's it's um, not good to cover it as a simplistic cause, which is what how they see um, and they're not talking about your story here. They're talking about the overall coverage. The other issue they raise is the journalistic standard of not covering suicide um, unless there is a real strong public interest due to the danger of contagion, of copycat actions. I actually take that rule really seriously. Uh, in the case of this story, I, I do think it meets the bar of public interest. Um, but I'm really curious how you and how the, your editors at the Free Press thought through the issue of, of covering suicide and uh, why you feel this story was so important to bring to public awareness. 
Well, yeah, no, social contagion uh, is something that I'm, I'm familiar with, and uh, it is something to be aware of. In this in this case, we found, give, given what uh, we had uh, discovered, or given what I had discovered about Richard uh, the last few weeks of his life, he was absolutely terrified of um, what, um, in fact, I mean, this came up in several different conversations. He was absolutely de- terrified of what the legacy media would uh, would do when once they discovered his lawsuit. Uh, he was in, in in particular he was terrified about what the Toronto Star would 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 say. They in fact had a story ready to go um, apparently, um, um, but for various reasons it got held up. And finally, the story that came out uh, was the story that came out after he died. But he, of course. Mental health is very complex. Why a person takes that ultimate step is a very complex thing. We'll we'll never be able to fully understand that. Um, but there is, um, the, you know, the, the the story was very compelling because this was a man who had experienced deep trauma um, based on everything that he had been saying to his friends and family. He was not the same person that he was uh, before this. Uh, he was a fairly optimistic and upbeat person, but this really tore him tore him apart. And and I've I've, I've tried try to understand why. And and one thing that keeps coming up is that. He was, he dedicated his life to teaching. This is all he knew. He didn't have, he he wasn't married. He didn't have a partner. He didn't have children. He lived on his own. He was gay. And his entire life was dedicated to to teaching. And his reputation mattered more than anything. And I've spoken to educators, and, and, and the same thing applies to us as writers, that, you know, once your reputation is is tarnished it's very hard to come back from that and that's how he felt uh, and he and 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 also he was very very uh you know felt a sense of letdown uh that n- no one in his community of educators all of these people who were praising him when he retired saying that he was just the most amazing educator that that, that ever met turned on him that entire community of people, 200 people in that session, not one person stood up and said, Richard, you know, I think what you said was perfectly reasonable. And uh, and I think I'm going to, you know, uh, join you in, in supporting you, you know, while you uh, complain about this. Not a single person did that. So that sense of letdown that one he must have felt, I, I've been in those situations. I'm sure you have as well. I, I certainly have, just speaking for myself. And it, it can be very devastating, and it's very hard to come back from that. Uh, some of us, I suppose, deal with it differently than others. But uh, but you know, when when your reputation and everything that you've given to this profession, um, if, if that's that's what's defined you your whole life, and that's systematically being taken away from you uh, step by step. So he had uh, teaching contracts that were just being canceled. He was seen as damaged goods some someone that you 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 didn't want to be seen around with and you know he was he was alienated isolated uh in his in this community and um i can only imagine the kind of effect that had on him well rupa it's uh it's a big story in this country i'm i'm very glad that you went and spoke to his family and his friends and and got all of that on the record and i think these are very important conversations to have as as difficult as they are so thank you for coming on today thank you tara 
lean out, reached out to Kiki Ojo Thompson to request comment and to invite her on the program. We have not yet heard back. But Thompson did release a statement to the media, which reads in part, The death of Richard Biltstow is a tragedy, and all of us at Kojo Institute offer our condolences to his loved ones. It adds, The allegations made against me and Kojo Institute within Mr. Biltstow's lawsuit against the Toronto District School Board are false, and we are not a party to the lawsuit. We will link to that statement at my Substack so that listeners may read it in full. We also reached out to Education Minister Stephen Lecce and his office for comment, but did not hear back. In addition, we contacted the Toronto District School Board for comment. It referred us to two previous press statements on this case, which we will also link to at my Substack, so that listeners may read its comments in full. is hosted and produced by myself, Tara Henley. If you value independent journalism, please consider subscribing to my Substack at tarahenley.substack.com. <laughs>